The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. If you have experienced narcissistic abuse, you are in the right place. Our mission is to help you understand the abuse you have experienced, support you through your healing journey, and to help you develop healthy relationships. I am your host, Juliana Aiken, and in today's episode, I'm interviewing Robin Reeves. Robin Reeves is a master's level licensed professional counselor with experience in private practice and with open slash closed support groups working with adolescents, adults, couples and families. Her areas of focus include divorce, co-parenting, mediation, narcissist survival, inner child exploration and trauma and PTSD. Her approach to therapy combines person-centered, solution-focused and family systems theories. Robin is known for her unique brand of analogies and metaphors to help create a visual with which clients connect. She finds this method assists both with clients' uniquely individual endeavors as well as to identify common themes or patterns in which clients often don't realize they are engaging. In this episode, Robin offers five practical strategies to help you gradually overcome the fear of being alone that narcissistic abuse causes. Let's get started. There's a little bit of physiology of fear that I think as a means of introduction might be helpful when you find yourself in the position of realizing either the unsustainability of a current relationship, the narcissistically abusive circumstances of the relationship that you're in, whether it is a family of origin or a relationship happening later in your life, a friendship, a romantic relationship, a would-be partnership. There is physiology associated with our innate instinct to survive that causes our central nervous system to produce adrenaline to get ready for that fight or flight response. So we we talk about fight or flight as being something that most people are familiar with. Your brain's ability to discern between real danger for survival and perceived danger can take a little bit more practice. So depending on where your, your unique circumstances find you in this narcissistically abusive relationship, your fear is real and your perception is real. So it is perfectly reasonable for you to be feeling a worry, a fear, a panic about being alone. So under this umbrella of self, which is kind of where my, my mind went to in preparation for our time today, is the diametric opposite of what happens for a person who finds themselves in these situations. There is an underdeveloped absence, neglect of self, because I am focused entirely on what is happening in the relationship, the confusion, the exhaustion, the lack of being enough, goalposts being moved, the gaslighting and all of that. So if you are in a courageous yet challenging place where I might be working toward extracting myself from this relationship, the alone possibility becomes a very real and present danger based on your perspective. So my first strategy under that umbrella of tending to self is what we might call under the cognitive behavioral therapy, similar to thought stopping, which is just stop, stop what's happening and consider an inner reflection in terms of what does alone mean for me. And that might have much deeper roots and connotation based on how I have experienced aloneness over the course of my life. What times in my life, what does alone mean? Does it mean isolation? Because we all do lots of things alone. 
and they don't cause acute panic, right? So realizing that there might be deeper roots to this construct of what alone means for me might be coming from outside. This person might be telling me I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I might have something going inside that's telling me I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. And the two very specific kind of exercises that I put under that umbrella of stopping, stopping the train from pulling out of the station, stopping the air raid siren from from really winding up to epic proportions is to hone in on what are the what ifs I'm asking myself? What if I'm alone? What if I'm a failure? What if this isn't going to work? Because the what if questions are the accelerant on that fear of anxiety that is contributing to both the physiological impact of the fear and your catastrophizing in your in your mind as to what could possibly happen next. We really only have the here and now. We you know, for the anxious mind, nothing is simple. We're always worried about what's coming next, but we really only have what's happening in this moment. And when you stop and you recenter and you focus, whether it's a deep breath or visualizing your happy place or some of these simpler strategies that lots of people employ on the regular, what ifs can be a very helpful method of figuring out exactly what am I worried about? What am I what am I catastrophizing about? And then I will also often encourage clients very specifically in my practice paint me a picture of your worst case scenario. And then we work backwards from that because how bad is it really? And how likely is it to come to fruition? Mm, sounds like face your biggest fears like <laughs> right away. It becomes like, well, yeah. Because you have, to, you have to pull the circuit. You have you have to pull the plug. And, and that is something that has to come from inside. So when you think about the indoctrination, you think about the programming, it's almost a cult-like mentality. I am absorbing what is happening on the outside based on my experience of the world and the people in it. And I'm telling myself that this is real, that this idea of my being alone could actually be real. But what does that look like? Does that mean I'm on a deserted island? Does it mean I'm living alone in a dark house with 47 cats? What does it mean? Paint me a picture and then take a look at it. and then you know, using the other strategies that we're going to talk about in a couple minutes is it's, it's really, I think of de-escalation is what, is what I would suggest. So you're hearing it as a face your fear, but what I'm encouraging you to do is hold up a mirror inside and say, what am I actually worried about? You know, did my second grade math teacher tell me I was going to amount to nothing? And so therefore, now that this relationship isn't working the way I expected, planned, invested, now I'm nothing. Am I a failure? Do I feel guilt? and shame and responsibility, you know, all of those things that are happening in the moment that feel real that we aren't paying attention to, I'm encouraging you to stop and pay attention to what's really happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So the first strategy when we are trying to overcome the fear of being alone that narcissist abuse causes, you called stop or stopping. And can you just clarify why all this that you just explained. So kind of asking yourself, what does alone mean to me, mean to me? And what are the what if questions that I could ask from me, from myself? Why this strategy of stopping works so well, when we are trying to overcome the fear of being well, alone? Visualize a path, a forest, a field, you are telling yourself that something is working in accordance with what your expectations are, what somebody is telling you is happening. When in reality, your instinct deep inside you is telling you that it's not real. You know, you are meandered off course. You are potentially already feeling lost and alone and so far adrift 
this realization that I have potentially already been alone for a significant part, you know, weeks, months, years, decades, is it's it's a it's a cold water to the face moment. It is a gut punch. It's a it's a slap. It's a what's happening. So this stopping is an opportunity for you to recalibrate from the inside out, pulling the plug on this series of panic. You know, and and this is where you know my my mind goes out to these different situations that I've experienced professionally and personally and understanding and empathizing very specifically with how it feels that moment of panic. What if I'm alone for the rest of my life? What if I never get married? What if I'm never loved? What if I never find a partnership? What if, you know, I fail at business because my business partner turns out to have been narcissistically abusive and I have bought into this rhetoric. I have allowed myself to unwittingly be a part of what amounts to a parasitic relationship my encouragement to stop is to say okay so where where am i where am i what am i worried about and how realistic is that worry so that i can get about the business of figuring out how to rebuild how to extricate how to choose to do things differently and when we find you know there, there's lots of really interesting philosophical and existential questions conversations that can happen what what makes a person vulnerable for this type of relationship and vulnerability is not weakness just as alone doesn't mean lonely and isolated so challenging yourself to come up with answers from the inside after you de-escalate and separate from and you know take a long hot shower or take a drive and listen to music and and ask myself what is actually happening from the inside out involves what am I what ifing myself about? What is my worst case scenario? And what contributes to that feeling realistic? So then I have created the possibility of a level platform on which I am standing, drowning out the white noise around me, the external contributing forces that have led me to believe that this indoctrination, this narrative, this exhaustive trying to run up a gravel mountain in perpetuity and not getting anywhere is potentially the most alone I'm ever going to feel because I'm tired and I'm depleted. But until you pull the plug on that and cognitive behavioral therapy refers to thought stopping as being how we can pull the plug on a mental narrative that is taking place in a catastrophic way. You imagine when you're watching a movie, when you're hearing the actors talk to you, how influenced and impacted you are by the soundtrack that's happening in addition to the narrative the action sequences in in action movies you know the the violins that that are playing when something is happening that is very sad paying attention to what's happening on the inside and focusing on the de-escalation whether it is taking a deep breath whether it is contextually referring to the what ifs that are happening in my mind this worst case scenario and i've had very varied responses to what is your worst case from i'm going to end up living in my car to I'm going to end up being alone in a large house surrounded by stuff with no people who love me. And it is by virtue of creating that visual and understanding the what ifs that are happening in your mind that you can figure out where you are and then begin to make your way back yourself. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so what is the second strategy that you included into this? The second strategy hones in, it builds off of what I was, you know, once once we are aware that something is unsustainable, 
I am a really big fan and a self-proclaimed annoying optimist in figuring out what is my inner narrative? How am I speaking to myself? If I'm if I'm taking the time and, and I'm going to face the challenge to extract myself from a narcissistically abusive relationship and I'm already depleted, I'm already let off course and I'm already worried about what feels like a very real possibility of being alone. What's happening in my head? How am I talking to myself? And virtually everybody that I have the privilege of working with will speak kinder and nicer to everybody else but themselves. We hold ourselves to sometimes an impossible standard and we are unaware of the insidious nature of our inner critic, our inner I told you so-er, our inner anxious fortune teller, who are all cast of characters that are happening inside our minds that are conflating to contribute to this escalation of fear of being alone. So the second strategy that I employ very often in my own practice, and I try to do it in my own life, I tried to do it before this podcast, <laughs> is to try to figure out, you know, what's happening in my head, how am I speaking to myself, and what needs to change about that. I think um, sometimes well-intentioned, loving, compassionate, caring people who have a propensity to be selfless find themselves in these relationships because there is this expectation of reciprocity and partnership. I am loyal. I am responsible. I have a well-developed sense of values and beliefs, and you are telling me the same thing. And I believe, I trust that we are doing this together, whether you are a child trusting a parent, whether you are an athlete trusting a coach, whether you are a business partner trusting the person you've gone into business with, whether you are in a romantic relationship and we are building a life together, you're figuring out that that we part is really me doing all of the work and the work that I'm doing isn't enough. It's never going to be enough. And this parasitic nature of the parasite attaching to the host and slowly but surely sucking the life out of me might be mirrored inside my head. The call might be coming from inside the house. So if I'm already telling myself that I'm a failure, I'm going to amount to nothing, this is futile, then I have a responsibility from the inside out to adjust that. That cannot happen from an external source. And so I have to start figuring out how to do that differently. One of the ways that that sometimes happens is by tracing that back to earlier childhood memories and feelings where I worried about something else, you know, fear of being alone. The sense of belonging is one of, if not the most important human needs and therefore a threat to that, like being alone and therefore isolated and, you know, exiled and all of those catastrophic, catastrophic words that get associated with alone kind of just take off as if that soundtrack is naturally playing in our minds. So when you figure out the different parts of you that are saying different things that are negative or critical or unkind and absent of any kind of compassion, we want to build something that is going to be compassionate because this is not easy, but it already hasn't been easy. So if it's going to be hard to figure out what to do next, I have an obligation to remind myself that I'm good at doing hard things, that this has been a really challenging situation and I deserve a warm, fuzzy blanket versus a porcupine and a cactus on the other side. You know, the reinforcement we provide ourselves is tremendously impactful on what we believe we can do.
Mm, okay. So you've identified your inner, I told you so, or your inner critic, your inner anxious fortune teller. You need your inner dragon slayer. You need your inner cheerleader. You need your inner, you can do this little engine that could, I think I can, I think I can. One of the, the sub exercises for that. I think I, I wanted to be able to apply the constructive theory to something realistic for people to take away from our time together. And one of the things very specifically that I have success with is come up with your own tagline. What do you need to hear? Do you need to hear you're worthy? Do you need to hear I'm enough? I'm lovable. I've got this. It's not my fault. And again, part of the challenges are that there's not some trifle brochure that I can hand you and say, here you go. Here are the strategies. We have to figure out what resonates with us. And that requires a journey to the center of ourselves. Mm, okay. Thank you. So the second strategy, let me just uh, see if I understood and see that I, uh, if I can summarize, it's really to, so after stopping, uh, you should really look at what is my inner narrative? What are the things that I'm saying to myself? Uh, are there a lot of unkind uh, parts of, or are there a lot of parts that are very unkind, harsh, very cruel to me? And, and then one practical thing that you can do is to come up with your own tagline, something that really resonates with you. And then do you suggest that we just say that to ourselves regularly or whenever those unkind and harsh things come up or, yeah. That's a great question because behaviors have to be reinforced in order to become habits. So it's a very helpful suggestion, you know, just start speaking kinder to yourself. Great. Well, how do I do that? Right. And the way we do that is by building into our routine at a time when it feels reasonable to do it with the motivation to follow through, to start introducing new behaviors so that we can repeat them for two to three weeks so that they can start to become habits. And the self-awareness piece is the first part and then it is the practical application. So if, you know, in this day of technology, if you want to remind yourself on your phone at 11 o'clock in the morning to tell myself what a great job I'm doing because I chose to get out of bed and I chose to make it and I chose to brush my teeth and put one foot in front of the other when all I really wanted to do was climb back into bed and cancel Tuesday, claim that accomplishment, tell yourself you're doing the best you can, my best is enough, and then work on feeling how great it feels to have positive reinforcement come from the inside, even if you have to fake it to make it in the beginning, right? Because if we're in such a place where we've been hearing on the outside, whether it's subtle or blatant, you're not enough, you're, you aren't going to amount to anything. And we gravitate towards what's familiar. So if I am single-handedly trying to change the trajectory, that's going to take a lot of effort. So I'm going to have to be patient with myself. I'm going to have to be kind to myself and I'm going to have to tap into that compassion that I'm likely showing the rest of the world and award a little bit of it to myself. Mm, yeah, thank you. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. And can you now just remind us and summarize why this second strategy helps so well and is so effective when we are trying to overcome the fear of being alone? Well, when you remember the place that you've gotten to, I might already feel lost, alone, exhausted, depleted, filled with despair and futility. The outside narrative potentially matches the inside narrative. And 
reminding yourself that it's going to be okay, reminding yourself the things that you need to hear that you actually most fear are not going to come to fruition, that I can do the things that I set my mind to, begins to create space and hold space for hope and optimism. And hope and optimism are hopefully in inextinguishable flames that we have inside of us. And if I'm already being compassionate to you for, you know, the day that you're having or the hardships that you're experiencing, that's a skill set I've already developed. So the hardest part is sharing it with myself. So doing that makes it possible. You know, we don't take advantage of opportunities that we don't know we have. There was a shortcut to the grocery store you didn't know about. You wouldn't blame yourself for not taking it. You'd say, oh, all right, so this is an interesting alternate choice to the way I've been living my life to this point. We're trying to create alternate options from the place that you found yourself for however much time. And that has to come from the inside. So even if it feels strange, even if it feels cartoonish, even if it feels unbelievable and unsustainable, it has to be possible. We have to identify it in order for us to be able to adjust it. And I think that it is an incredible courageous place to land when you are worried about being alone because you realize that the potential for being alone is better than staying where you are. You've already created another option. It's not desirable because we don't want to feel alone and isolated, exiled, rejected, abandoned, without a sense of belonging. But this is getting to a place where it's no longer sustainable. So I have to create a lifeboat for myself. I have to create another way to get to the grocery store. And in my experience, reinforcement is reinforcement. So rather than the negative reinforcement, you're not going to do this. You're never going to be able to do this. You're going to be alone for the rest of your life. If I flip that script and I create a viable alternative, then now I have created at least a spectrum for me to operate on at any point in any day. And it's a lot nicer to lean into a hug of compassion than it is to feel like it's all just an exercise in futility because you can do it. You have to believe it's possible. And then you put one foot in front of the other until it starts to become routine. Mm -hmm. So for survivors, right? And we're all survivors, right? Um, the ability to look over your shoulder and see how far you've come is a joyous moment. If your inner narrative is, is, paired with that saying this has been really hard and you've done a, a fabulous job that feels great you deserve to feel great you deserve to feel the the empowerment from choices that you're making on your own maybe for the first time in your life that's that's something that you always deserved you might never have experienced it but that doesn't mean it wasn't yours to claim and if you are the first person in your life to authentically be telling yourself just how worthy you are, that's a fabulous place to start. The most authentic place to start. Hey, I hope you are enjoying this episode right now. If you didn't know this already, our mission here at Unfiltered is to help people who have experienced narcissistic abuse understand the abuse they have experienced, support them through their healing journey, and to help them develop healthy relationships. 
We want to help as many people as possible, but the only way we can reach everyone is if you choose to share this episode. So if you have been getting value from our content, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with others. You could do this by sharing it with your online support groups, sending it to someone dealing with a narcissist, or even leaving a review. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the episode. So when we are trying to overcome the fear of being alone, you have already shared two strategies. And the first one was stopping. So asking yourself, look, like, what does alone mean to me? And what are the what if questions and kind of just stopping for a moment. And the second strategy was asking yourself or looking into like, what is my inner narrative? And one practical tip was to come up with your own tagline. What is the third strategy? The third one is still under this umbrella of self, you know, self-reflection, self-talk, and now self-care. Um, I think that we are all familiar with the dichotomy in this world of, you know, you either get to identify as being selfless or selfish and neither feel desirable in the, the overarching impact of, you know, living our lives to the fullest and being able to reserve space to feel good about ourselves. You know, the, the metaphor that I use for clients all the time is, you know, imagine an empty gas tank, imagine an empty bank account, any bank in the world will tell you, you can't draw from an empty account. And yet this construct of being selfless, you know, the self-sacrificing approval seeking people pleaser doesn't count themselves worthy of doing things that I refer to as being self-full. So if selfish and selfless is the dichotomy that we are brought up to believe are only two choices, my construct and strategy under this concept of self-care is to develop methods of being able to make empowered choices in the self-full category. And I, there's a little asterisk with a footnote at the bottom of the page here, because when you think about how depleted you feel in this moment, the idea of having to build something else can be really exhausting and overwhelming. I couldn't possibly do one more thing than get out of bed and get through today. Right. And I, I empathize with that. And I, and I recognize that, but even with pennies on the dollar back into that reserves tank, you begin to build and you begin to feel more like yourself. The one thing that I, I do notice, and I see it more in the nonverbals in the people that I'm working, you know, the, the way their their body responds or their their facial expressions is an acute crisis of identity, because I might not know who I am. I might not know what makes me happy. I might not know what makes me feel like me. That's okay, right? Because now you've got this road ahead of you. And it's okay to not know in that moment. Remember for the anxious, worried brain about what's going to happen in five minutes, five months, or five years, I couldn't possibly know who I am, what I want to do next Sunday, because I'm already feeling the threat of being alone and not having even this toxic relationship to rely on. So how could I possibly start to figure out who I am and what I want? Okay, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, right? This is a matter of, again, that that self-reflection and, and engaging in self full choices, you know, realizing that we already do know a lot about ourselves and then reframing the way we engage in the things that we already do from a self-full perspective. You know, if I feel guilty or shame or gluttonous about doing something that feels indulgent, I'm choosing 
I'm choosing that soundtrack, right? When it is actually a self full thing to hit snooze and sleep an extra 10 minutes because my body needs more sleep. It can be a self full choice to linger over my morning coffee or tea because I'm reflecting on how I feel, how I slept, what the day might hold, what this day signifies to me. And I can categorize it as such. Self-full means again, and I know we're always talking about boundaries, recognizing our limits and respecting them. If a friend or a loved one calls and needs help with something, but I don't have any reserves in my tank, being able to make the self-full choice, I'm, I'm sorry, but I can't be there. I can't attend this event. Or the opposite. Maybe maybe it is something that you need to do and being able to make a, self, a self-full choice and say, hey, do you have time for a 10-minute conversation? Can we get together for a cup of coffee? You know, when are you available for a walk? The construct of self-full can feel a lot like breaking in a new pair of shoes because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to lean into this possibility that I can do things for myself and not be labeled as selfish. And we all know from the narcissistically abusive relationships, anything that you're not doing for me makes you selfish. So we have to break free of that and create this possibility that if the only two categories I had before were selfish and selfless, now I'm going to create a category for self-full. And how are some of the things that I'm already doing falling under there, right? Leaving a narcissistically abusive relationship would definitely be self-full, right? (laughs) Hard to do and is broken down into smaller smaller parts and and smaller pieces. But that self-care piece is going to be so important in not only rebuilding your identity and figuring out what's possible, but also speaks directly to the fear of being alone. Because if I like who I'm with, then I'm not going to be lonely. If I know who I'm with, if I am in touch with the things that I do that make me a good person, the way I operationally define a good person is somebody who does good and wants good for the world. So if I'm if I'm already doing those things, label them as being selfful and then keep building on that. So that when I have a fuller tank, when I have a bigger inter, you know, intrapersonal bank account filled with emotional and mental and physical currency, then I get to be a fuller version of myself for the world, which good begets good begets good begets good. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. And this just made me think that when we do this, it really, it's got, it is journey to reconnect or connect for the first time with your own self. And then it's like, well, are you alone anymore? And I remember I heard this, this mantra or a sentence that you can say to yourself that maybe we have wanted to hear for, for a long time, that if you are having a really tough day that you just say to yourself that I will never leave you that can be really comforting promise from you to you and it can feel like really really good and it's such a beautiful building block for all of this right the the selfless hollow husk of a person we find ourselves in these situations because of the parasitic nature of the relationship I understand and empathize and relate to how important it is to get that external external reassurance. But what I'm talking about here is building on all of these all of these five manners and lots of other ways that that regenerative core where 
I will never leave you to myself, which is potentially the most important thing we need to know about ourselves and to get in touch with how exquisitely invaluable that is, how worthy I am, how important my presence is in this world, in spite of what I've been told or made to believe by people who need to keep me off balance in order to keep maximizing the potential for me giving so benevolently and without any boundaries of myself. Because in these relationships, there is no reciprocity. And for people who don't know any different, we don't have anything to compare it to because we can't relate to an experience we haven't had. So as we are developing our relationship with ourselves, there is no lonely because I know who I am. I'm good with that. And if I am in need of human or animal or adventure or circumstance, stimulation or connection, I can confidently and with self-trust go out in pursuit of fulfilling that need. But it's not a need to survive, right? Again, part of this indoctrination is you're nothing without me. You're nothing without me. Now look where you are. And it feels so believable. And you cue that creepy horror movie soundtrack in your mind. And these are strategies that I am hopeful will be helpful to people with regard to combating that. Again, perception is reality. But when I am quieting all of this and when I am recognizing how valuable I am even to myself and I can engage in these activities and feel good about it and feel better and stronger and more confident, then I can go out into the world and be an even better self-trusting and self-confident person for others. Mm, yeah, this is very important. Thank you. And it's really great that you have included this. So the third strategy, like self-care, and then you, uh, you said it beautifully that kind of the category of self full. So uh, in how to do this in practice, are you saying that you have to look at your life and figure out ways how you can make more these kind of self full choices and decisions and it's a maybe it's just a process that you have to just start doing something that you think could be labeled as okay i'm now you know exploring myself and trying to make self full decisions or do you have some guidelines or is it better just to go out well, there I and explore yourself and see what happens or thing you know in conjunction with the other things that we've already talked about we gravitate towards what's familiar. And th the more we are self-reflecting and recognizing from the inside out what we need, how we feel, the roles that we've been programmed to play, you know, lots of us in these situations end up feeling that we are the perpetual caregiver. And part of the conundrum is, you know, who cares for the caretaker? And if I have to learn how to care for myself in order to continue doing the things that I love and want to do it's a it's challenging but it's necessary and it just might start with you know using the self-talk and understanding you know the self-reflection and then parlaying that into you know what really would you, like, sometimes the hardest thing for people to answer is what would you do if you had a day all to yourself and people will naturally well, I, I would catch up on laundry or i would unload the dishwasher or i it's it's hardly ever those indulgent things I, I would lie on the couch and i would i would eat popcorn and watch movies all day or i would take a luxuriant bath or i would take a drive but they feel unattainable 
because because of what we told ourselves we're allowed to have and the self-full journey is the ch- i mean daydreaming sometimes we do our best thinking in the shower while we're driving or you know walking the dog whatever it is you know that that conscious reminder to how am i feeling about this what could i do differently and what else is available the overwhelming part of having to pick up the pen and write your own script the flip script to that is i get to write my own script the freedom from the shackles that i didn't even realize were binding me from being everything that I want and need and have the potential to do and be is also exhilarating, right? You know, the the freedom from the unpacking of those those burdens and those bricks in our imaginary backpacks is anything is possible. Figuring out where to start is sometimes overwhelming. And I'm I'm reluctant to say start here because mm-hmm. everybody's journey is different, but for, for the people for whom this is going to resonate, I would imagine it's similar to planting seeds in fertile soil. There's lots of lots of ideas. And I think the hardest part is figuring out in your 24-hour pie chart where to prioritize carving out time to do these things. And maybe that is a safe place to say, you know, how much how much of my 24-hour pie chart am I allocating for me and selfful things? If I'm racing from one thing to the next, and where might I be able to carve out more time to do that? I am the reason I am here. The more empowered choices we make, the more empowered we feel. True. Yeah, thank you. And I can totally agree to that, that just sitting down and looking at your, okay, where right now I'm using all my hours and where can I find natural places? It could be 10 minutes just writing or 10 10 minutes sitting and staring at green <laughs> just being there <laughs> kind of being alone with myself not doing anything but you know and that that can be you know a, a function of cabling together the things that i used to love to do and new things that i might want to try and small steps right you know remember nothing is simple for the anxious mind so we 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 catapult forward. We go from A to Z. We read the first page of the book and then we read the last page of the book because it's just too hard to read all the pages in between. And when we are taking deep breaths and we are slowly but surely taking one step after another, and that, that kind of dovetails into my my fourth strategy. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but um this construct of you know being being patient with myself as I develop from the inside out in an authentic manner. Mm, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, you already kind of hinted at that there's the fourth strategy. So please, what is it? So my fourth strategy speaks specifically to building distress tolerance. If, if we're, if we're talking about this fear of being alone to get back to that as being what, what brings us here today, our distress tolerance for being alone might be underdeveloped and in panic mode. So if I've already pre-decided there are certain things that I couldn't possibly do or just, you know, wouldn't work for me, then how do I deliberately take a look at augmenting deliberately and with intention, augmenting my distress tolerance for certain things? I said very specifically before, there's lots of things that we do alone that we don't give ourselves credit for, right? If I'm okay walking into the coffee shop, standing in line, ordering my own coffee, my latte and walking out, that is something that I'm already masterful of. I can do that, right? But 
how do I feel about sitting down alone and spending 10 minutes drinking my coffee, reading a book, being on my laptop? When I figure out the things that I fear, identifying them, and then we were talking about this before, about you know, leaning into that fear, because we're stronger and braver than we believe we are. We're stronger and braver than we tell ourselves we are. And if we are in these challenging circumstances of also being told in a passive aggressive, manipulative, blatant way, you're not stronger. You know, you couldn't possibly leave me. You couldn't possibly make it out on your own. Oh yeah. Here's my inner dragon slayer. Here's my inner cheerleader. Here's my, you know, all of these things that we're trying to combine into one entity of well-developed, authentically focused self. How do I start to challenge those fears in, in small and in small ways? I very specifically had a client recently whose fear of being alone at the end of a marriage and, and her greatest fear was eating alone. Could not imagine going to a restaurant eating alone. That feels like a very tall order for most people, right? So what would happen if you made plans to go out to eat with somebody and then you deliberately arrived 10 minutes early? So you had to sit at the table and wait alone. I have never had anybody spontaneously combust after having sat for 10 minutes alone anywhere. You know, does it feel unreasonable to sleep alone? Does it feel unreasonable to spend the day alone? How do I break that down into smaller pieces? Again, this is about distress tolerance, speaking specifically to anxiety, wanting us to catapult, leap a building in single bound. I'm worried. So I will create dichotomous choices and then I will self-direct and limit my ability or limit the potential for me to actually recognize what I am capable of which is a lot more than I'm telling myself I can. So if alone is a construct that people fear, what does that look like? And how do I disprove that as being a realistic fear? And that also ties into what we were saying at the top of our conversation, which, which is what does alone mean to me? Because once we have a better sense of what alone looks and feels like and why I am actively and passively avoiding it, then I can make the empowered choice from the inside and say, all right, I might be afraid to swim, but I can sit on the side of the pool. I can let my legs dangle. I can get used to the water. I can imagine myself in there. There are lots of things that I could do and I can do that in small increments, but I have to have a construct of what it is that I am actively avoiding in order to be able to develop a strategy to build distress tolerance against it. And again, these are deeply personal things. I'm throwing out metaphors. I mean, lots of people are afraid to swim, but lots of people cannonball off the high dive. Don't think, don't, don't think twice about it, right? So this concept of risk aversion, assessing the risk and realizing that I'm stronger and braver than I, than I think all, all of these strategies are not, they're not like, you don't, you don't need one in order to do the other, but in terms of augmenting your virtual toolkit and strategy playbook, these are all things that can be worked in conjunction with one another to lift to lift that self up, which flies in the face of that fear of being alone. Because when I appreciate, respect, know, trust who I am, I will never feel alone. Mm, yeah, thank you. So just so I make sure that I understand the fourth strategy builds uh, 
build your kind of stress tolerances. And this ties a little bit with the first one that once you have identified what the fear of being alone actually means to you or what you are actually afraid of when it comes to that, identify how you can take little small steps in order to address that fear of yours and then just do it and you gave great uh those kind of examples whether it's like sitting next to a pool and touching the water but yeah just figure look at look at at look at your own life and what it is and start start doing it and yeah is that what what this step i mean strategy is about it is you know when you look at people either that you know or don't know who confidently go to movies alone go on trips alone they travel alone they will go to dinner alone there is there is a sense of well-developed self right that fear of being alone has been eradicated and vaporized because it's okay there's really nothing to fear and once we are believing that from the inside out because we have chosen to build our distress tolerance for that fear of being alone the list of things that you can't do is really, really short. (laughs) (laughs) That feels good. Right. And and that, you know, also again, to go back to the self-talk, claim your accomplishments, right? That that was really hard. I did a good job. I'm really good at doing hard things. Yay me. Right. I mean, there's, there are, and again, not in a selfish or egotistical manner, but in a way of saying I, I overlooked and undervalued me. And I have to be the one that nourishes that, right? Even if you're in a a regular healthful partnership or relationship, we still cannot expect external factors and people and circumstances to transgress the irrefutable boundary that exists between where I end and you begin to fill me. That has to come from the inside. And I I think lots of people don't stop to to think about that or, or realize that we feel safe in partnerships we feel safe in places in our lives and safety is a really important component to feeling like things are doable but if i get to a place where i feel safe within myself i trust that no matter what the weather is outside i'm going to be able to navigate it dress for it make decisions and adjustments then who cares what the weather is Mm -hmm. yeah thank you thank you so much all makes sense so just to remind ourselves, when we are trying to overcome the fear of being alone, the narcissistic abuse causes, you have shared now four strategies. And the first three, I believe you said, relate to self. The first one was like stopping, kind of self-reflection. Second one was uh, really looking at your what is your inner narrative. Was this like self-awareness? Self-talk. Self-talk, yes. yeah, self-talk. And the third one was self-care and figuring out how to make more self-full choices. And then the fourth one was uh, building the stress tolerance uh, by taking small steps. Um, What is the fifth one? Well, the fifth one, I mean, it feels almost obvious, right? So if I am in fear of being alone, how do I easily combat that fear? And again, when we look at what happens with the narcissistically abusive relationship, the, the person who is being victimized in that relationship is being separated from their life. They're being separated from family and friends. 
Um, when it happens within, you know, the family systems at home, you're growing up, if you have a child of a narcissistically abusive parent or parents, there is that sense of isolation, right? Disappearing and, and parents are emotionally unavailable. There's all of those components that impact the way a child's inner schema develops. But if I am at the precipice of wondering, what if I'm alone, then my fifth strategy speaks very directly to, you know, reconnect and rebuild your, rebuild your village, remembering who your village was prior to being in this relationship, who you connect with. You know, I think that there's a lot of inner gaslighting and inner negative self-talk that goes along with, you know, it's too late. I've lost these friendships. I've lost these bonds. And at the end of the day, the people who are truly and authentically there for you in an unconditionally loving and accepting manner are still there. They're waiting for you. They're hoping for you to come back. And that can be very reassuring, you know, recognizing who, very short list, doesn't have to be 18 people, you know, who can I reconnect with? It doesn't have to be, oh my gosh, let me tell you the 18 things that are going on with my, you know, self metamorphosis and, and you know, my, my identity development, it can be, you know, the, the person that I enjoyed playing checkers with the person who, you know, I met here, there, or wherever this person that I used to go to school with, or used to work with, you know, remembering that you were an entire, you are an entire entity as being identifiably separate from this toxic relationship gives you the opportunity to empower yourself to reach back out. And it can be overwhelming to reach out. What if they're mad? What if they feel neglected? And some people might, you know, you might have to, you know, recognize that there are other potentially insidious patterns that you've been engaging in your life. And there might be more than one of these nefarious characters because they do, they do smell you out. Right. I mean, <laughs> all of a you realize, so I call that, I call that the opportunity to weed your garden. Right. So with the same token of being able to reflect on your past, you know, the people from your past, not all of them are going to make the cut and that's okay. But as I am also getting to know myself and re-engaging with the world from a self full perspective, what new people might be out there. And if people help us feel less alone, if animals make us feel less alone, if nature makes us feel less alone, engage in the things that we can externally reach out to that reinforce that we do actually have a village and a support system that is buildable and adjustable and a safety net for us to fall into when we are feeling alone. And that is a strategy that can also be incorporated with the other things, right? You know, working distress tolerance. Who can I who can I call on, right? And as your lens begins to shift, taking all of these strategies into consideration, you'll be seeing people in pre-existing people in relationships from a different vantage point. And that can have its own secondary and tertiary impactful ripple effects. You know, you drop a stone in the water and the ripple effects just keep going. It's not just the one. So it's an exciting, challenging, exhilarating, activating, unsettling, terrifying place to be, but this is your life. You're claiming it for the first time. And that is a an incredible thing to be really proud of. Thank you so much. That was well said. Uh, so yeah, just to go over to first strategy, if you are trying to overcome the fear of being alone, stopping self-reflection self-awareness peace second one look at your look at your self-talk 
third one self-care and making self-full choices i really like that <laughs> and uh then the build stress tolerance and five uh reconnect your village and really like a look at that in detail these were all very helpful strategies and the way you tied them together and packaged them for for us and explained them i think was very beautiful and do you have now any final thoughts about either all of these five strategies or about the topic of overcoming the fear of being alone after, uh, that narcissistic abuse causes in general i think i think alone can incite a lot of fear in us for what that looks and feels like being in an echo chamber, an ivory tower, isolated, excluded, exiled, abandoned, discarded. And, you know, when you think about even your endeavors, Juliana, in bringing people together for a common purpose, there are a lot more of us than we realize, right? And when, and when we stop for a minute and we you know, just give ourselves permission to take that in, you know, being a part of such an incredibly empowered movement has with it its own tailwinds. You are already part of a larger village of people who can very specifically relate to where you are, who you think you are, and what you're going through. And even though nobody's story is exactly the same as anybody else's, you are not alone because we see you, right? And when you recognize that there are resources and people and shared experiences and memories that we can cable together in a way that helps us feel stronger together, you know, that would be my my final offering is that no matter how alone you might feel, you're really never gonna be alone because we've got you. I hope you enjoyed that episode and maybe you are going to listen to it a couple more times if you are planning on using Robin's advice, which I hope you do. Before I let you go, I would like to invite you to join our free community. My team and I send out free courses and healing exercises every week. We also host live therapist-led Q&A sessions every month that are 100% free. To join, please click the link in the podcast notes or visit unfiltered.net slash community. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next one.